The CFB Winning Edge podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. It's college football preview magazine season, and the first edition of the CFB Winning Edge preview book will be on sale in July. But our Tier 2 Patreon supporters already have access to over 10,000 individual player ratings, as well as position and unit ratings, coach ratings, and power rankings for all 130 FBS teams, plus complete projections, including win totals and projected point spreads for every game of the 2020 college football schedule. And unlike magazines that are obsolete before you get them home, we update our depth charts daily based on injuries, transfers, and other news. Visit patreon.com slash Edge to join. Welcome back. It's CFB Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogdan. You can follow me on the Twitter, at Bogdan Sports. And as always, I am joined by Nicholas Ian Allen, the owner and proprietor of CFB Winning Edge. Follow him on Twitter, at CFB Winning Edge. And Xavier Trish, you can follow him on Twitter, at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Fellas, Nick, what's going on? Uh, I know you need a haircut, but other than that, <laughs> is everything going well? Yeah, yeah, we were uh, trying out the new... Uh, video thing that you were showing us. I did not expect it. I didn't expect to to be on screen with you guys. But yeah, I, I am in need of a haircut. And uh, who knows, maybe one of these days I'll be brave enough to go to the barbershop next door and do it. But in, in the meantime, uh, my wife has gotten uh, better with a, a pair of scissors. So, uh, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. No, no rush at the moment. Nick is so vain, he won't let us start videoing stuff until he gets a haircut. So exactly. just kidding, just kidding. I got to shave and all sorts of I, mean, I <laughs> Well, I got I got to get my beard to grow back so people can't <laughs> see my chins. So, but uh Xavier, what's going on? How have you been? First off, you guys are lucky you guys even grow beards. I can't grow facial <laughs> hair. Uh and secondly, I'm bald now. So, you know, maybe the fans will be able to see that at some point. Uh but no, everything's going great. Um it's summer technically speaking for me right now and my birthday's on Sunday. So, Oh, happy uh, yeah. birthday. You're turning uh 16? Ha. <laughs> I'm turning the ripe old age of 24. 24, okay. nice. Mm-hmm. I remember 24. It was a long time ago for me at this point. <laughs> so, uh, 13. Were computers years invented ago. yet? No, no, there were no computers. And uh, actually, have you played Red Dead Redemption? It was a lot like that when I was 13. <laughs> so, uh, a lot of horses, a lot of carriages, that kind of stuff, of course. Nice. But uh, today on the show, we're going to be talking about. The all preseason Big Ten teams, Javier's favorite conference of all of the conferences, of course. <laughs> the one that he respects the most is the Big Ten. Um, that's not the SEC. I mean, I don't think, to be honest, I always uh, say that Xavier hates things, but I really think you just disrespect the ACC the most, right? Of oh, the, yeah, absolutely. The five big ones. Oh, yeah, 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 most definitely. Okay, yeah. all right. So just just to get that out there, so Big Ten people do not need to go and hammer Xavier on Twitter. It's just a joke here. But next uh, week, look forward to uh, when we're talking about the ACC. So. Yeah, the the ACC. Uh, he's just going to put the Clemson team as the uh, yeah, exactly. It's going to be all Clemson for the all ACC team for Xavier, of course. But uh, we got some good news here, guys. I mean. Uh, last week, uh, Brandon Marcello of 247 Sports reported that the Big 12 was eyeing mid or late June as a potential return to campus activities. 
uh, some Big Ten beat reporters, including Mark Morehouse um, uh, of the Gazette in Iowa, noted June 8th as an important date to watch. Uh, there's a belief the conference would allow teams to welcome back players in stages beginning on June 8th. The SEC is set to vote on whether or not to allow team activities later this week, and the Pac-12 presidents will meet uh, next week to discuss. But the big important news is today, according to Pete Thamel and others, the NCAA Division I Council voted to approve voluntary activities and workouts uh, in football and basketball starting June 1st and running through June 30th. So obviously these are some positive steps towards uh, getting uh, some normalcy back to college athletics, right, Nick? Yeah, of course. And and uh, last week it seemed like things were you know, trending slightly in the other direction. So uh, we talked a little bit more about this sort of thing than we had in, in weeks past, but uh, got absolutely some good news today. Seems like things are, are now uh, turning around. I've, I've said for a while I've been cautiously optimistic about football in the fall, but I think, you know, right this second, I, I feel downright optimistic about it. And, and of course, the safety of players and personnel that would be at games is uh, most important. A lot of, lot of details uh, to work out, but sounds like things are certainly moving in the right direction. Yeah, and of course, you know, with every single step that's announced, it's always the safety of the players and personnel is the most important. And that is, uh, you know, it's it's a highlighted thing that we have to say every single time. But I also think it's so obvious at this point that it doesn't need to be repeated. But every time you hear good news, it's obviously the health and safety and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, you always hear that stuff. So, uh, but I think that's kind of obvious things. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm going to go and... I'm going to go driving and try not to get in a wreck. Well, yeah, it's obvious. You know what I mean? <laughs> Nobody wants to get sick. Um, but this news comes on the heels uh, of the news last week to pro sports could return to New York, California, Texas, and other spots in June. And more positive signs uh, for the NBA today as they're opening up some uh, you know, practice facilities and, and stuff like that. Uh, also, some schools, including South Carolina and Notre Dame, have announced changes to the fall class schedule to start earlier, cancel breaks, and end earlier, so prior to Thanksgiving as preventative measures. So that would be nice, too. Uh, the University of California uh, system, Cal and UCLA, is in there, but not all California schools, like Nick was pointing out last week, are in there. Plan to reopen campuses with a likely hybrid of in-person and virtual classrooms this fall. So uh, these are all interesting steps that are being taken. Yeah, I think everybody's got to be creative, have to, uh, you know, look for, for what will keep everybody safe, as, you, as we said, as we always say. Mm -hmm. uh, but to, to try to figure out a way for people to, to get back to, you know, relative normal, get back to school and, and for us to have football. It, it was interesting for me to see some of these schools decide, you know, hey, we'll get rid of uh, fall break. It's something that didn't even really register with me before something that wasn't on, on top of mind, but it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, those, those types of uh, breaks in the schedule, a lot of people go home and, and of course spend time with family, which is uh, a great thing. But, you know, uh, if you can limit some movement, maybe this fall might help uh, prevent potential spread. If, you know, if, if we're still dealing with this sort of thing in, in the fall, which we most likely will be. But again, small steps, people are, are making, 
some changes or are being flexible to try to figure out uh, the best way to move forward. And, and then hopefully this fall it all will combine and we'll be able to have uh, college football in, in some form, uh, you know, relatively normal uh, come fall. And Xavier, I mean, Xavier is going to graduate in the fall. Congratulations to you. But what has your school been announcing? Like, what have they been telling you? Well, funny enough that you mentioned hybrid courses. Georgia State already offered them. So I feel like they are going to double down on their hybrid courses uh, come the fall. Um, we haven't heard much word as far as getting out of uh, the online version of school so far. Um, for to everybody's knowledge, we're still going to be kind of in an online school type scenario. Uh, nothing to change as of yet. Uh, but with this kind of news coming, it seems like we're going to progress into more of a hybrid situation where we come to class one day a week and then the rest of the week um, the class is online and stuff like that. And they've already been practicing that. Um, I've already taken, I think, three or four hybrid courses since I've been on campus. Um, and eh, not a fan of them too much, but uh, <laughs> to, to, keep people he- to keep people healthy, by all means, use, use the things that you have available. Um, I think it's I think it's a great move for them. And I think that a lot of kids and a lot of people would be happy with that kind of a compromise versus trying to do all out of uh, all in class or all online. So I think it's a good compromise. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're turning into an old man there. You're like, I don't like the <laughs> online classes. They're yeah. not for me. But I, I can imagine like I think I would have really liked online classes, but I just don't understand how I guess that's the one day a week is probably for like if you have a class that has a lab. Or anything like mm-hmm. that, you'd mm-hmm. have to go in, obviously. So, and probably for test to make sure that no one's cheating, you know, and uh, that kind of stuff. I love the idea to finish school before Thanksgiving. Uh, I've been a huge proponent of trying to finish school as soon as possible. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if we have to push it up to uh, earlier August than when we normally go, and we finish way before Thanksgiving, and they give us that entirety as a break. It keeps people healthier. One because winter time is like the most sniffle and cough season of the year so that's one but two it, it just allows us you know I, i'm a kid that hates having time in between my exams because it gives me more time to procrastinate so uh <laughs> the, the less time i have the more i'll get my work done because i'm fearful of you know not getting it done right so I, I like the idea um now there's um there, there's some belief that college football will probably not have fans or at least have a limited number of fans i know that ohio state today uh, came out and said that they're trying to set up a plan uh, for 20,000 people in the stadium, but all socially distanced, you know, in these stadiums that can hold 80 to 100,000 people, 20,000 is a small chunk. And right. the, um, you know, the stadiums will look somewhat empty. So, but Nick, uh, you looked at a study. I, I didn't know that there were studies <laughs> done on this about the impact of home field advantage without a crowd. Well, so, uh, you know, a, a lot of what I do, a lot of what, what I built uh, our team profiles and all that sort of stuff uh, to do is project football games and project point spreads and, and of course, always uh, test our methods, our, our work against the Las Vegas point spread. So I'm always sort of paying attention to things like home field advantage. For a long time, I was a pretty uh, – I, I – was a pretty strong believer that home field advantage, especially in college football, was particularly high. And, and there have been a lot of studies done over the years. Uh, one that, that springs to mind, Audie Weiner, who uh, is uh, at, at the University of Pennsylvania in the Wharton School, uh, part of a, a 
podcast that uh, they do called Wharton Moneyball, which is uh, one I would certainly suggest if anybody's interested in sports analytics, uh, if you haven't heard of it already. But uh, last summer, I know he did a uh, study on uh, home field advantage and, and has looked at both the NFL, college football, I believe he's looked at other sports as well. But he's found that specifically in, in both the NFL and in college football, uh, the actual numerical value that you put on home field advantage has gone down over the last couple of decades, basically since 1990. And, and so one thing that is, you know, uh, in my mind as we're thinking about what will college football look like, it, does it make sense or, or you know, should I – do some sort of adjustment to home field advantage. It, it unfortunately, I've I've made adjustments every year. When when we first started, uh, I did kind of a, a a varied range where I would I would uh, you know SEC stadiums and big games things like that. Uh, having been in the stadium for for some of those, I put a pretty heavy emphasis on home field advantage, thinking like, okay, you know, the the crowd is crazy. It's definitely having an impact and, and then thinking, you know, maybe in the Mac or some of the other smaller uh, stadium situations where you get pretty small crowds, sometimes late in the year, you know, weather's an issue or what day of the week you're playing, that sort of thing, thinking those maybe, you know, home field advantage was barely anything. And, and uh, then in, in uh, 29, or 2018, I went with a, a flat home field advantage, but I gave it too high of a weight compared to what uh, a lot of these studies said. And, and so finally, I, I sort of come around that, all right, you know, finally, I, I've read enough, I've, I've heard enough smart people uh, tell me that it's, you know, two and a half points is, is basically what we should do in pretty much all situations. But now I'm starting to think, okay, maybe is that even too high if there are no fans in the stadium or, or things like that. And then of course I've also been looking at travel. Is that more important than the actual, uh, you know, situation, the atmosphere in the stadium? Is it something to do with distance or rest or whatever? So all of these things are running through my mind. I'm I'm more so open-ended, you know, Hey, is this going to have an effect I don't necessarily know I'm going to I don't know how change anything it. but like what did they use uh, like rice games rice home games at uh <laughs> you know uh wow that's th- tough well I mean you know I'm not <laughs> trying to bash rice but they have a home game against Texas every year that's in Houston you know uh or not every year but a, a lot of times it's uh, you know we're in NRG stadium or whatever it's called where the Texans play and mm-hmm. you know it's quieter than a library in that place so um, you know, that place has hosted a Super Bowl before. So you have uh, a stadium that can hold 100,000 people and you get a rice crowd in there. I mean, way more Texas fans. And then, you know, they have to travel. It's not far, but it's still not a home uh, a home game for pretty much anybody at that point. So or, you know, uh, like last the, year, at Vanderbilt, we saw both Georgia and LSU, you know, took over Vanderbilt Stadium. Yeah. And, and so yeah. that's that's yeah. not a, a home field advantage. That happens but, too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and it's you know, it's it's interesting. I mean, studies like this are basically numerically based, put everything into uh, you know, a spreadsheet and run your your uh, uh, run your numbers to to just see how did the home team fair against the spread did they did they cover more often you know things like that uh ran different scenarios i'm sure i i don't 
know all the details, but had a little bit of a, a back and forth when they talked with Audie Weiner when when uh, this came up on the show last summer, uh, and he explained uh, in a little bit of detail. Um, so it, I think it was in August or something that there was like a 10 minute discussion on the show. So I'm sure our listeners, if they're interested in the, the details can go back and find that. But, um, yeah, you know, it, it's a lot of people smarter than me have gone back and, and looked at, uh, all the, you know, every situation, every game of the last, how, however many years and seen how, you know, things actually played out on the field. And, and uh, it was significant enough that he found that the number has shrunk, uh, not every single year. There are some blips where it goes up and down. It can look a little like a, you know, stock market line where some days up, some days down. But but there's been a, a decline over time, over the last, you know, 10, 15, 20 years, uh, where it's just, for whatever reason, not as a big of a, a factor as it was, and we're talking, you know, percentage points here, but right. but it, it's statistically significant enough for you know people who do what we're trying to do, or, or gamblers, or whoever, to to look at it and and say like, okay, this is something we need to maybe address in our models. Yeah, and it's uh, it's a good point to make because home field advantage uh, in some spots is like you said is still huge, and other spots like. Here in Arizona, not for the college teams, of course, but for uh, like the Cardinals. Uh, the Cardinals are get are slowly getting a better home field advantage every single year because uh, you know in the early two thousands and you know mid nineties and stuff like that, when there was more of an economic boom, uh, there was um, there there were a lot of people moving to Arizona, so we have a lot of transplants. So if you go to a game where the Cardinals are at home against the Bears, it is a pro Bears crowd. If they're playing against the Niners, it's way more Cardinals, you know. So it's uh, people that came in from Chicago, Pittsburgh, you know, some of those big East Coast spots, uh, uh, New York, there's a lot of Giants fans and stuff like that. There's always a lot of Cowboys fans uh, and and that kind of stuff because just of, because of transplants. But now that the kids that were born in the 90s and early 2000s are growing up and have their own money to buy tickets and stuff it's becoming more of a pro you know home crowd thing but if we play the cubs or we play the dodgers it is nuts you know it is all cubs fans it like we played the dodgers in the playoffs the diamondbacks did and um it it was probably 50 50 and that was in 2017 so uh, it, it's just nuts how sometimes that works. So home field advantage doesn't always work as home field advantage. But the um, the rest of the news here, it's weird. It, it's it's bad if this is upheld. But on Friday, the MAC announced it would cut uh, travel costs for football, uh, um, the rosters rather seventy six from seventy six to seventy, and the teams would not stay in hotels prior to home games to cut some costs. Obviously, every single program trying to cut costs wherever they can right now bowling green um shuttered its baseball program and central michigan discontinued track and field and that put cmu below the number of sports threshold for fbs so the mac might be in danger of dropping to the fcs at least a couple schools uh the cfl delayed their start of the season to september at the earliest and um finally according to brett mcmurphy the uh, NCAA Division One Council approved a resolution to develop legislation regarding transfer eligibility 
for January 21st, meaning no one-time transfer rule until at least 2021-2022. So uh, break those down for us if you would. Well, the the Mac is is I've seen it referred to by you know a few folks in in the media as sort of the canary in the coal mine. Uh, they're having to to work quicker than a lot of uh, or, or pretty much any other FBS conference right now, and and eliminating some programs you you never like to see it. I did see uh, uh, just a small note uh, not long before we started recording that there's a, a big groundswell of support for the Bowling Green baseball program that, you know, perhaps there are some uh, alumni and donors and things like that that can maybe save it. Uh, I know Cal had a, a similar situation a few years ago where it sounded like they were going to uh, disband the program, but were able to, to save it uh, sort of at the last minute. But, you know, a school like Central Michigan or, or other teams in the, in the conference or other uh, smaller schools out there, nationwide that have to, you know, they're already on a, a such a, a thin margin with the number of sports, the number of scholarships they have to offer and, and things like that. To cut some programs that would put them under that number is a, a pretty big deal. And, and I don't know all the specifics, but, you know, if you need some sort of waiver to retain FBS status, I know the MAC has had some attendance issues in, in years past where uh, some schools were not in good standing as far as FBS standing goes. So uh, there, there are certainly some things that they'll have to figure out, but it, it does seem to me that the MAC could be in danger of, of, you know, as a whole, or like you said, at least maybe some schools. I would, I would be a little bit surprised if like Central Michigan stayed up, but Eastern Michigan didn't, you know, that sort of thing. But uh, who knows? But, but I could, you know, see a scenario if – if the economic impact of all of this is uh, so great that this is going to be an issue for multiple years, losing uh, sports, that that there certainly could be at least some schools, if not you know an entire conference, have to make a switch, maybe drop down to the FCS level. Um, just I, I saw the thing about the CFL that was uh, you know it, it's a little bit different. Obviously, Canada has different. Uh, you know, government uh, uh, and political concerns. And, and uh, there I've, we've said before that there seems to be some evidence that uh, weather has something to do with this temperature and things like that. So yeah, uh, maybe play football in Canada in November. Well, that was, <laughs> sounds it, it was interesting <laughs> that they pushed it off, seeing as how Canada, you know, you, you would think, OK, July, that's when we need to get going. Yeah. But, uh, you know, who, who knows? But but, you know, they're making. Uh, as I think every individual league and, and you know institutions that we're talking about trying to make uh, the smartest decisions for them and and so you know just it, it's important you know I, I certainly dive into college football uh, pretty much all the time every day anyway so I do think you know for me a reminder for me but also to, to other people who are like me to, to look around and see what other sports are doing what other uh, countries in some cases are doing. Uh, because it might help us see sort of what the roadmap is for college football in the fall and, and in 2020 and then and beyond as well. Now, just so people don't come after you on Twitter, Xavier, you would be sad to see some of the Mac go, right? Oh, absolutely. I don't want to see anybody's <laughs> programs be dim <laughs> be diminished whatsoever due, due to a pandemic. It's, it's not fair in any regard whatsoever. Uh, you know, regardless of 
you know, I wouldn't want to see anybody from the ACC lose a program. And we all know I despise that conference. So, I mean, I don't think, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's fair for anybody to lose, you know, and for kids to, to not be able to play the sport that they love at a school that, you know, they may have fallen in love with or maybe it was their only offer or whatever situation, you know, for them to not be able to play that sport anymore, you know. So I don't think this is fair for anybody. Uh, and I hope that there's some kind of measure put in where some of these schools may receive funding that need them or something rather to be able to, to, to get them back to, to running at full steam uh, because this is something outside of their control that they've had to That's you know, a good go to point. these kind of measures. Yeah, I, I think that there could be some type of, you know, maybe just for a couple of years, maybe have some leniency on what qualifies for the FBS and FCS as far as if you're already in the FBS, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I don't know that I'd give leniency to teams that aren't already uh, at the FBS level, but um, we'll, we'll see what happens. And Nick, can you kind of explain the transfer rule real quick? Because I don't think I'm understanding this. Was Because we have the transfer portal, and guys can transfer, but if they're non-graduates, they still have to sit out a year, right? So this would this new proposed rule that would be a one-time transfer and you have immediate eligibility, but um, you know you don't have to sit out a year only one time. Is that correct? Right. So there, there's been talk, and, and it seemed like things were moving in this direction earlier this year that perhaps the NCAA would allow, uh, like there are in, in a lot of uh, Division One sports, a, a one-time transfer rule where uh, a player would be immediately eligible at their new school. Um, for football, I believe it's uh, basketball and, and ice hockey, there's this, you know, you have to sit out a year. Um, of course, there are waivers, uh, and we've seen waivers uh, be approved. Justin Fields last year, of course, is the, the you know, premium example. Uh, but there had it sounded like perhaps there was enough discussion, enough momentum earlier in this calendar year to uh, go ahead and say, okay, maybe football and basketball, these other sports, would uh, adopt that same rule where everybody gets a free transfer. You know, hey, you went to a school, it didn't work out, uh, you shouldn't be penal, you know, penalized. Go to a, another school and and play immediately one time. But unfortunately, for I think. The three of us, I think we're on the same page with that. And a lot of people out there uh, share this opinion as well that, um, you know, it's unfortunate that it, it looks like that won't be adopted for 2020. And at the earliest, if they do, in fact, do it would be next year. So Daniels, you know, a as an example, uh, had this rule passed, might uh, decide to go ahead and, and pursue a transfer. But since it hasn't passed, maybe he says, well, if, if I weren't to get a waiver, uh, I'd have to sit out anyway. I'll, anyway, might as well uh, be here at USC right, with right. Know, my teammates and, and have an opportunity to play if something happens to Slovis or compete for the job or, or whatever. But, um, you know, I, I, I it's a little bit disappointing to me. I, I thought we were maybe moving toward having a one-year free transfer, and I just think that makes the most sense, but other people out there might disagree. Now, uh, as far as transfers go, we thought there was a lot last week, but this week there's a crazy amount, and so I'm just going to go through them here. We'll start with Mississippi State. On Friday, uh, Mississippi State offensive lineman Stuart Reese entered the transfer portal. He started 34 games for the Bulldogs, and uh, now they're 
ranked 109th in O-line starts returning uh, from last year from 41. Uh, big, big loss for them. And then on Saturday, uh, he announced he would be transferring to Florida, where he will reunite with, of course, his uh, former coach, Dan Mullen, and help strengthen a unit that had proved to have been a weakness for the Gators in 2019. And then Tuesday night, the Bulldogs lost sophomore safety Jerrion Jones, another potential starter. He goes into the transfer portal. So some big losses here for Mississippi State, Nick. Yeah, Reese was a, a bit of a surprise to me. Didn't didn't necessarily see it coming. He is, I believe, a graduate transfer will be immediately eligible at Florida. But Mississippi State was expected to return three starters from its 2019 offensive line. And they added Scott Lashley from Alabama as a grad transfer who it seemed was going to, you know, jump into the starting lineup, give them a pretty strong unit to start the Mike Leach era with. Uh, And they ranked, you know, just outside the top 40 as far as total returning starts among offensive linemen. But uh, Reese had half of those starts basically. And and, uh, so now they're down to uh, 41 starts, as a unit and that now ranks 109th so pretty pretty big job drop as far as experience in that unit goes and and uh that's sort of just one of the the you know pieces of uh information we look at to try to evaluate offensive line strength somewhat so it's it's significant but florida on the other hand that's a big you know it's a big step in the right direction they had three starters coming back and and add Reese to the mix. Now they've got 88 starts. So uh, they're, of course, moving in the opposite direction. We're uh, basically in in triple digits as far as FBS total starts go and add 34 starts from him. And he's a pretty good offensive lineman, not just experienced, but uh, helps strengthen a unit that underperformed last year. Uh, The one that I think really surprised a lot of people was Jerrion Jones, who was a, uh, you know, he got some playing time as a freshman last year and he was penciled in uh, basically as the fifth defensive back in, in our uh, preseason depth chart. So expected to, if not start, be on the field a lot. And uh, Mississippi State only brings back one full-time starter in the secondary. So his his loss is a, a pretty big one. And, and just sort of the, the numbers as they're adding up, we talked in weeks past about how some of the, the online comments Mike Leach made, things that he, he posted maybe had an effect on some people choosing to leave. I'm not sure if this is related to that or not. But I feel like it, it had to be. It yeah. could be, and it could be, you know, if if it didn't lead to it directly, uh, perhaps, you know, there there's a thought, hey, that's something we can raise in a, in a situation to get an immediate waiver. So right. if somebody was on the fence and thinking, you know, maybe I like it here, maybe I don't, I don't know. Pure speculation on my part, but they could think, you know, hey, this situation happened. Now I'm not so sure about my new head coach right. and the fact that he did this, maybe I could not have to sit out a year if there's a place that's a better fit for me. So it, it could be it could have been the thing, again, pure speculation that that could put somebody uh onto the other side and, and maybe pursue a, a transfer when maybe they were on the fence or, or thinking of sticking around before. Yeah, there's enough negatives around Mike Leach for sure to be, this could be the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, all of the negative things versus the positive things, I could absolutely see that. Xavier, were you surprised to see uh, some kids transfer out of Mississippi State? Not really. Um, 
after we, we kind of figured we talked about this about two weeks ago when we kind of talked about all the Mike Leach stuff happening that there was going to be a trickle down effect from this, um, as well as the fact that I genuinely think that Mike Leach as a person will rub you the wrong way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I mean, I I yeah. feel like that probably I think we'll get some more transfers when practice time rolls around uh, mm-hmm. because he's you know a noted jerk as far as that stuff goes. I mean, what coach isn't, but it's been, you know, when it's when it's bad enough to be portrayed in the media, you know it's pretty bad. So uh so that that might um he might rub some kids the wrong way in that spot as well. And I think he might have been one of the guys that was kind of outspoken against the transfer rules, which of course always funny when you go from Texas Tech to Washington State to Mississippi State. You know, Mike Leach can do whatever he wants, but the kids can't. So uh, I digress. But anyway, Maryland. Maryland had a couple more transfers, or one big one in. Uh, Tulia, Lil Tua, uh, Tunga Viola announced his transfer to Maryland, which, um, you know, we mentioned passively uh, at the end of the show, but uh, we had to get into it on this one. And then QB, uh, Terrell Pigram, uh, left from Maryland to go to West Virginia, who's been getting a ton of transfers uh, recently. But, uh, Xavier, we'll start with you on this one. What did you think of Lil Tua going over to Maryland and Pigram leaving for West Virginia? Or Western Kentucky, excuse me, not West Virginia. I did think Talia going to Maryland was a little weird. Nick alluded to that possibly being a move. And I didn't think he was going to want to leave the state of Florida. Um, they are a very, very tight-knit family. Um, and I did not think that they, he was going to want to make it to where his family or his mom and dad had to move to go watch him and his brother play. Um, so I was really thinking about FIU, FAU being possible destinations for him. Uh, but obviously he wanted to stay in a Power 5 conference and go play um, in the ACC with Maryland. Um, and so I think that for him, it's a good move. Um, I think that he wasn't going to play at all in Alabama. So I think anywhere, I think him transferring at all was a, was, a, was a smart move for him. I think he's going to a program that, you know, is going to allow him the opportunity to win the starting job. Um, and we've seen some explosive offenses from Maryland in the past. And um, maybe he's the next head of that offense, um, we, you know, that have put out first-round talent like DJ Moore. So I think that he is going to a situation where he has the opportunity to make himself uh, the, the head of a, of a really great offense that could really boost his draft stock, which right now is in the toilet. So any chance that he can get to boost that is a positive. Um, as far as, you know, the, the, the starter transferring to, to Western Kentucky, I think he saw the writing on the wall. Um, this was a Tate Martell-esque move um, <laughs> in seeing the fact that, hey, there's this kid coming in with pedigree and name. I think that he sees the he sees an opportunity where he's not going to want to have to compete, which I don't blame him. You know, some people are going to want to give him crap for not wanting to compete. But if I see somebody coming in that already is coming in with the plaudits of he's going to take my job, then let me go somewhere where I know I can start, put up great numbers and still help out my future, regardless of staying there, competing, losing my job and then having to transfer the next year. Nick, what do you think of these? Uh, and I mistakenly said Pigram to Western Virginia, but he's going to uh, Western Virginia, West Virginia, but he's going to Western Kentucky, not West Virginia. So, but West Virginia is getting a lot of transfers, and they'll come up in a second. But what did you think of Little Tua going over to Maryland? It, it was a bit of, su- of a surprise. I mean, I think when we were talking about potential destinations, like like Xavier said, I think most of us were uh, intrigued. Perhaps it maybe what he could do at uh, Conference USA school, FIU, FIU, and a lot of speculation that uh, because of the tight knit family, uh, again as Xavier said, that that perhaps he would uh, follow 
to uh, to you know somewhere in South Florida, and and uh, that the family would sort of make a move together. But this is you know an opportunity for him to uh, sort of chart his own path, go out and and try something new. Maryland is a a very uh, intriguing situ- they're in a very intriguing situation to me because there's a lot of talent there. They actually rank uh, in the top half of, of the Big Ten and a lot of our talent metrics. And then in recruiting classes, they've they've put up you know really strong numbers in recent years. And then Mike Loxley, of course, is is a, a noted recruiter, and and uh, so there he has a lot of talent to work with, but he has a, a very very uh, poor track record as a, as a head coach. And last year, you know, things were looking good. The first couple of games, they had a couple of, of very impressive blowout wins. And then they, they lost nine out of the last 10 games of the season and, and didn't look very good towards the end. So many people have transferred, uh, Pigram being one of them. I, th- I think it was during the season last year, he entered the the transfer portal after it was pretty clear that Josh Jackson, uh, the Virginia tech transfer coming in was going to be the, uh, the the starter, but uh, you know Pickram, he's, he's he's done some good things. He was uh, played a big role, as you'll remember, Scott, in in a, a upset of Texas, and and yeah. Yeah, uh, so <laughs> so he's you know he's he's shown some flashes, and and every quarterback at Maryland, unfortunately, has had. Uh, some injury issues over the past few years, but well, two of them um, got hurt in that game. I think yeah. Pickram came in. Uh, God, I can't remember what his name was, but uh, Pickram was. Uh, uh, he's a he's a Tennessee now. The the other one is it Hill? Uh, oh, what's his name? I'll I'll look at the Kasim roster. Hill. Kasim Hill. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Kasim uh, Hill. So they both played. They both played in. in uh, I can't remember who started. Game. To be honest with you, because I think yeah, that was I don't like either. A twenty eighteen <laughs> game or twenty seventeen game. But that was uh, – I remember Pigram coming in and ripping us up. Uh, I do remember that. So uh, it, very, very frustrating. That was a lot of speed backs um, for, for Maryland, just torched the Texas defense. So n- not a fun week for me, but I think WKU got a good one. And I think Maryland got a pretty solid transfer as well. Northern Illinois had three guys transfer out. Nick, uh, tight end Marshall Brinkman has opted to transfer to USF to play for new head coach Jeff Scott. Uh, the offensive lineman Christopher Perez committed to transfer to Temple and play with his former head coach Rod Carey. And another NIU starter, defensive end Matt Lorbeck, who had 34 tackles and five and a half tackles for loss last season, uh, entered the transfer portal as well. So NIU losing guys left and right. Yeah, and you know we talked about the first two guys last week, and and sort of you know maybe what what is going on at, at Northern Illinois. I think they're up to half a dozen starters that had uh, eligibility remaining who decided to go elsewhere, and uh, you know uh, Perez and and Brinkman made. Uh, pretty quick decisions. Perez, is, of course, makes a lot of sense. Rod Carey was at NIU. Uh, USF, different coaching staff, of course, but uh, USF just had a uh, tight end drafted, I believe. So, um, you know, could be a, a decent situation there, maybe a, a slight uh, step up as far as visibility and, and things like that. So those moves both you know, both make sense. And, and then Lorbeck, another, another guy, I guess, the, the, you know, writings on the wall or, or whatever to, to think, hey, maybe I need to uh, look for another opportunity, raise my own profile. He was very productive, as you mentioned, uh, did a lot of good things. And we talked about Jack Heflin last week, who uh, those two made a, a pretty solid 
duo on the defensive line, and, and Weston Kramer is also a returning starter there. So what could have been potentially one of the better defensive lines in the MAC. I mean, they were our fourth-ranked unit in the MAC uh, before these two guys transferred. So uh, that's, of course, going to fall a bit since uh, Kramer now at a, a 76 is the highest-rated player as far as our VGR Plus ratings go, uh, returning on that defensive line. So it's, a, it's an odd situation, uh, but uh, these guys seem to be in demand once they're in the, the transfer portal. So, uh, you know, best of luck to them. And, and I'll certainly, you know, be keeping an eye on Northern Illinois. And it seems like perhaps they might be due for, uh, you know, another step back after a fairly disappointing year last year. Now, Xavier, it seems to me like West Virginia has uh, acquired a transfer portal all-star team. And they got a couple more guys here, <laughs> former Arizona safety, Scotty Young, Transfer to West Virginia. He started 21 games for the Wildcats and will reunite with his former position, position coach, uh, Jamila Dye. And then the Mountaineers also added Maryland transfer Bryce Brand uh, to the depth chart on the defensive line. He should compete for a starting defensive end spot. But WVU getting all kinds of transfers, Xavier, right? Yeah, and I, I really love the move for Scotty Young Jr. I think that, you know, he's a guy who, you know, is following his coordinator. Um, obviously, his best year at Arizona was under uh, Jamil Adai. Um, so that's probably his reason for his move. His 2018 year, he had three interceptions, three passes defended. Um, that was the year Adai left and went to West Virginia. So obviously following the guy. I'm sorry. No, that wasn't the year Adai left. He was actually there his freshman year. But um, I'm sorry. He's still following his coordinator. And I think it's a really good move. If you feel like you had a chemistry with a guy who made you into your best, um, and obviously the year after he left, he had his best year. I think that this is an opportunity for him to get back to that place, as well as the fact that West Virginia needed safety help. They needed depth out there. So it's going to give him an opportunity to play right away. Same thing for Bryce Band. Uh, this is a kid, once again, who feels like he can play above the talent that he's playing right now. And I think that it's, it has to say something when you transfer from Maryland to West Virginia, uh, when you obviously are, are a talented kid. You, show, you want to show your talent on a bigger stage. Don't get me wrong, Maryland's great. But when you're playing in the Big 12, for a team in West Virginia that ends up on television a lot more than what people would give them credit for, it's an opportunity for you to make your draft stock higher. And at the end of the day, that's what this is all for. It's to get to the dream, which is the NFL. And sorry, but playing at Maryland versus West Virginia, I take West Virginia all day. And they've gotten, just looking here, and maybe I'm mistaken because uh, some guys have transferred out of West Virginia. But they got uh, Keon Wakefield transfer mm -hmm. in, and then they had um, uh, Martel, no, Petway left. Who else here? Um, Bryce Brand, and I guess that's it. They've had guys transfer out. Uh, Giovanni Stewart, Quantel Reigns out. Uh, Nathan Green, Tyler Thurman are both in the transfer portal now. Josh Sills went to Oklahoma State. Uh, Ricky Johns went to, I don't even know what logo that is. Uh, Albany. Uh, oh, okay, Albany. Uh, uh, Tevin Bush left. Um, Giovanni Hawkins is in the portal. And then Jack Allison and Trey Lowe, both quarterbacks, and Petway, the running back, are also in the transfer portal. So just mm -hmm. a lot of movement. So I guess I'm, I'm mistaking. Uh, I think they just got their guys recently, so that's what I was thinking. Illinois had a transfer to... Uh, Chinadu Otawagu, Otagayu, uh, I don't know how to say it. And Treshawn Smith announced their <laughs> intentions to transfer to Illinois uh, from Cal. And uh, 
Uh, Adegu is from Cal, and Smith is from Louisville. Man, they couldn't have a harder name and a easier name <laughs> to, to transfer in, I'm telling you. Uh, they're the fourth and fifth uh, P5 transfers for the Illini this season. And then Temple had uh, safety uh, Kevon Bruton, the highest-rated DB for the Owls. Uh, he went into the transfer portal, and they have had three defensive players drafted, two signed as UDFAs, and uh, All-American candidate uh, Quincy Roach transferred to Miami earlier this year. So they're uh, gaining and losing some talent here. But what do you think of those transfers from Illinois and Temple, Nick? Well, so Illinois, I mean, if you're reading the list of, of guys who are in and out of there, it, it's uh, even longer than uh, West Virginia. By by our count in our FBS team profiles, they've had 10 guys transfer in uh, who are either eligible this year or uh, might have to wait a couple of them. Brian Hightower at Miami and uh, Brevin Jones at Mississippi State maybe you know have to get a waiver, might, might not be eligible until 2021. But Illinois is a team that, uh, you know, hit the transfer portal pretty hard last year, and it, it paid off decently well. I mean, Brandon Peters starting quarterback, uh, Jocelyn Mortabebe, who's, who, um, you know, emerged as uh, a touchdown maker, basically, at, at the receiver position. And, and uh, defensively, I mean, they, they had um, Awule uh, Batiku, who, who – Left early for the NFL draft, unfortunately didn't get drafted, but was very impressive in in his short stay at Illinois as well. So, uh, one, Lovey Smith was able to go in and, and get some guys that helped him uh, get over the hump and into a bowl game, uh, and and two, you know, has, has had some success uh, developing some of these players. I mean, he's been he's recruited some pretty small classes from the high school ranks and and then going after you know half a dozen or or more transfers to sort of uh boost some uh you know help fill some holes and and you know maybe give some guys some second chances and and uh it paid off last year and and if you know Treshawn Smith is pretty pretty highly rated he he uh was very productive earned five uh production points according to our numbers before last season did not uh, earn any last year but um you know he, he's somebody that has starting experience had played in 24 games at louisville and and you would expect to be a contributor and and uh i i've i've seen conflicting things on a, a, a dugay that's what that's what i'm going to go with uh because in one of his uh one of, when he was at cal he was he was listed as a linebacker, but then in the, in the things that I've seen uh, recently, it talked about him likely to, to add depth in the interior defensive line. He, he's 6'4", 270, which is, is somewhat thin for an interior defensive lineman. Uh, but, you know, he, he's somebody that has shown the ability to, to uh, play on the defensive line as, as some experience at linebacker, apparently. And, and so somebody that should certainly be a depth piece and and uh one of those guys a, a power five transfer have an opportunity at illinois to add depth maybe carve out more of a consistent role and keep this team maybe bowl eligible in 2020 xavier any thoughts on the illinois and temple transfers yeah i mean i think kevon bruton is going into his senior year was definitely looking for a change this is a guy who has done very little at his time at temple um, you know, last year he saw just action mainly on special teams. He's been a special teamer pretty much all three years um, being at Temple. Uh, so obviously this is a move for him to try to get back to playing, try to get some starting reps or, or any reps at all at the safety position. And also at the same time, 
You have them bringing in a guy like Quantel Reigns, uh, who's coming from West Virginia and transferring to Temple. So uh, who played uh, and who was a uh, kind of lower on the death chart at, at uh, West Virginia at safety, too. But he's only a freshman going into his redshirt sophomore year. So, you know, for him, he sees this depth coming in. He sees younger guys coming in with more of an opportunity to probably play over him. And this is an opportunity for him to definitely make uh, make a name for himself uh, by entering the transfer portal and trying to find a new spot if he's able, if he does end up leaving. Now, we have a lot of other transfers, so I'm just going to burn through these ones, and then Jeez. afterwards, uh, you guys can talk about them as you see fit. Texas defensive tackle Gerald Wilbon uh, announced his transfer to Louisiana Tech. Uh, he he was um, a reserve for the Longhorns who appeared in 35 games. Uh, Duke defensive tackle Taj Rice in the transfer portal. Uh, prior to his departure, he Duke had the number nine defensive line in FBS according to the unit strength numbers. So not great for Rice and their empty home games. Uh, former Texas running back to John Henry announced his transfer to Houston. He is going to have to get a waiver to participate this year, uh, and that is um, he has two years of eligibility, so it remains to be seen what is going to happen with him. Former USC quarterback Jack Sears, who started one game for the Trojans in 2018, is transferred to Boise State. Jordan Jones, a former Arkansas wide receiver who missed 2019, with an injury, is transferred to Cincinnati, where he was reconnected with his former OC, Dan Enos, who is a new running backs coach. Iowa State landed North Carolina grad transfer Greg Ross. Ross played in 24 games, made 11 starts for the Tar Heels. He will uh, join a veteran Cyclone secondary that includes four returning starters. But the Cyclones lost Richard Bowens, a contributor with one career start the following day. Former uh, Purdue starting defensive back Kenneth Major has committed to Middle Tennessee State. Uh, Major is the third P5 transfer to join the Blue Raiders in 2020, so they're doing some work. Uh, former App State defensive lineman Chris Willis, who missed 2019 with an injury, uh, transferred to East Carolina. With Peyton Hendershot's status still unclear for 2020 in Indiana, uh, they added tight end Cameron Taylor, uh, one of two tra- tight ends who transferred out of South Alabama. Um, uh, Boston College offensive lineman Elijah Johnson uh, entered the transfer portal. He started 10 games as a freshman, but he's been limited by injuries uh, since, uh, since. but he was expected to compete for one, uh, one of the open spots on the Eagles' depth chart, probably right guard. Iowa defensive back, uh, cornerback, excuse me, DJ Johnson played 11 games as a redshirt freshman, and he was expected to make a major con- uh, contribution in 2019, but he entered the portal Oregon, uh, this was nasty. Oregon uh, signee Luke Hill, a high four-star DB recruit, was arrested on a long list of charges, including attempted murder, and he will not join the Ducks in 2020, obviously, uh, as he is going to be having some legal battles uh, for himself. And then Auburn wide receiver Deshaun uh, Sheffield was suspended for off-field incidents as well. So a lot of moving and shaking, Nick. Yeah, and and uh, these guys are are not taking it easy on uh, me trying to enter all this, keep up to date on the the FBS team profiles, and then in turn, I'm not taking it very easy on you having to read off all this, uh, <laughs> right? Read off all this so. stuff from the from the sheet here. But uh, you know, I, I thought that that most of the and this isn't everybody that transferred in the last week, so there, the there is that, right? Yeah, yeah, and and you know, a, a lot of these guys, it, it's sort of interesting. Of course, quarterbacks are the most important and you know we've seen quarterbacks make a major difference in teams i mean you only have to look back to joe burrow and 
Josh, you know, Justin Fields, I mean. And, and so uh, those are, of course, very important. A lot of the other positions, it can be somewhat hit or miss, but there are a lot of opportunities for guys to have an impact, to provide depth at certain positions. And, and you know, they, they factor somewhat into our numbers. I, I thought it was important enough to, to go, you know, deep in the, the player uh, specific level in, in building our model because I thought it might perhaps you know give us a better look at overall team strength than some of the other analytics outfits out there. But uh, you know it, it's a lot to keep up with, so I understand why maybe some people don't uh, don't look that that closely in depth. But there's always you know interesting situations. Greg Ross at North Carolina jumps out to me. He's somebody that started played a lot at, at North Carolina, but. Uh, you know, decided that that wasn't going to be the place for him in 2020 as an opportunity to go to Iowa State. Already a very strong secondary, or at least very experienced. Uh, and he's going to factor in there potentially as a starter, certainly a, a major contributor. And perhaps, you know, Iowa State can make a run at, at a Big 12 title. Will Greg Ross be the difference between, you know, the Cyclones making it to the Big 12 championship game or not? Oh, you know, probably not, but uh, it's something to consider, and it's just sort of interesting to to keep an eye on these. Uh, Another thing that that sort of seemed odd to me, and and I think to a lot of people, was Jack Sears at at Boise State, because Sears had announced he was going to San Diego State and then backed off of that, and uh, that seemed like a, a decent fit. Boise State had a true freshman starting quarterback, Hank Bachmeyer, last year, who played pretty well, showed some flashes. They also had Chase Cord, who, who played a good bit as a, a backup. So for Sears, who's pretty highly recruited, pretty highly you know rated coming out of high school and, and has started a game at USC, uh, I, I, from what I've seen, that's the only game he's played. But um, for him to choose Boise State where he probably would have been the starter, at least a heavy favorite to be the starter at San Diego State, and probably a pretty heavy underdog to win the job at Boise State. That one was a a little bit of a head-scratcher, but quarterbacks are important, and and he's pretty highly rated. So if he factors into that uh, QB race, it's certainly one that that could, in the long run, be the most important of these that you mentioned. Xavier, any thoughts on uh, this big list of transfers here? Actually, I have a little bit of weird news. It, it, it's not it's dealing with the portal, but more of the recruiting portal. Um, have you guys heard? Did you guys hear about Bubba Chandler, the Georgia baseball recruit who's now committed as a quarterback to Clemson? Really? So yeah. I saw a little of that. Yeah, he was pretty under recruited as a football. Uh, he's more of a baseball player, but mm-hmm. Clemson's interested, so now everybody else is, right? Yeah, well, he's already committed. So, uh, well, verbally at least, he had three. He had four offers total. Uh, only one from an FBS school, and that being Louisville. Um, and up until this point, he had he was not a prospect two weeks ago. Um, but apparently, according to him, he got a call from Clemson, who said they loved his Twitter videos, um, and they extended him an offer. So he has now gone from a recruit, uh, a committed baseball player for Georgia. Um, to play baseball and now he's going to be playing quarterback for Clemson or at least he's committed to play quarterback for Clemson uh class of 2021 so just a just a a little weird story going on through all of this you know uh coronavirus pandemic stuff you know (laughs) getting recruited off of your twitter videos um and when you're not even you know a highly rated kid in that sport but hey kudos to him those are always uh fun for chris and i over at in this league because 
he does the minor league baseball stuff, and I do the college football and NFL draft stuff. So, like, the last guy we had to fight over was Kyler Murray. So uh, (laughs) those are always funny because he had a full scouting write-up on him, and I'm like, well, he's going to be the first pick in the draft, dude. So he's going to play football. And and he did. He wound up playing football. So, uh, but you had um, you had some analysis with all the transfers, Nick, and I find this interesting. Well, yeah, and it, it, I hit on it a little bit with the, talking about Jack Sears. That quarterback, of course, is what we need to, to pay the most attention to. But uh, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show or not. But I, I have increased. Uh, sort of the weight in how we calculate roster strength, and then that goes into all the other ratings as well, uh, to put a little bit more of an emphasis on receivers and defensive backs, because uh, we've seen through other studies, uh, I've often referred to Bill Connolly's returning production uh, research and, and things like that. He's found that returning production at, at the receiver position and, and in the secondary are the most highly correlated uh, with success in future years. So I thought it made sense, of course, quarterback being the, the most important and, and that has the highest uh, impact on our roster strength ratings. But I did bump up uh, both the receiver units and, and the secondary a few percentage points as well. So when we're you know going through this long list of transfers each week, as it seems has become custom, uh, I, I do pay a, a little bit more of attention if it's a wide receiver, if it's a, a defensive back. Actually, one that I forgot to mention, Boston College got uh, Jalen Hill from Ohio State, who was uh, oh, wow. basically yeah. like a, the, the first, uh, like the number one or two rated four star so very very close to a, a five star a couple of years ago so you know somebody like that who can impact a game uh you know maybe in an outside outsized way compared to an offensive lineman defensive lineman what, what have you uh those are, are the guys that we probably should pay a little bit more attention to all right well it's time to get to the big 10 all preseason teams here so nick take it away with uh, what vgr plus had on the offensive side Well, I think to the shock of pretty much everybody, the highest rated quarterback coming back in in 2020 in the Big Ten is uh, Justin Fields at Ohio State. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) uh, that's that's a little bit more interesting. And we've talked a little bit about uh, Adrian Martinez in the in the past and how he's got a really high ceiling. He has earned some production points because he's had some big games on the ground and he's had some, you know, 300 yard plus games, but Tanner Morgan is, is really making a charge. He's somebody that is, you know, if you look at, at him versus Justin Fields as a passer, uh, their, their statistics are pretty similar in a lot of ways. I mean, Tanner Morgan completed 66% of his passes, Justin Fields, 67.2. They both threw for, Roughly 3,200 yards. Tanner Morgan had 30 touchdowns compared to Fields' 41. Uh, Morgan threw a, a few more interceptions, threw seven to, to Fields' three. But one the, the number that always jumps out to me with Tanner Morgan is he averaged 10.2 yards per completion, which is elite. I mean, that that is top five in the country. He actually, you know, among guys coming back, uh, he, he ranked fourth in the country last year behind Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, and Tyler Huntley. And so, you know, among guys coming back, he's the, the national leader in yards per attempt. And then the next closest guy, Brady White, is half a yard behind him. So he had a very, very 
impressive year as, as far as that goes. And he's somebody that really came in under the radar last year. And of course, he's going to be without Tyler Johnson. He's going to be without uh, his top running back from, from last year. So, you know, who knows if, if he'll be able to maintain that. But He's somebody that that really was impressive last year. He's somebody that's gaining ground. I, he's certainly not going to catch Justin Fields, but he's somebody that is worth a mention. Uh, and, and then you know Sean Clifford is in the running as well. But Justin Fields is the the oh, you know hundred rated player. He's right. our maximum rated player. He's he's one of the best in college football at any position. So, and he actually uh, averaged more. And I only know this because doing my write ups for the the fantasy football black book. And I always do a look to the 2021 draft. And I was actually a little surprised to see that Justin Fields' uh, average yards per attempt was about a yard deeper than uh, than Trevor Lawrence, if I'm remembering correctly. And I think uh, Fields was in like the 9.1 range, and I thought Lawrence was 8.1 or something uh, in that neighborhood. But I'll, I'll take a look as you're talking. But I was a little surprised to see that too. So Fields can sling it. He's not just a runner. And Lawrence had more rushing yards than him. So he is absolutely not mm-hmm. just a runner, which people think. And a 41-3 to touchdown to uh, interception rate That's should tell everyone. insane. Yeah, it should <laughs> tell everyone what they need to know, especially when he ended that game um, against Clemson on a pick. So Or against mm-hmm. Ohio yeah. State. Or, uh, no, we threw two of them. They, they played, against yeah. yeah, they played against Clemson. Right, right. I'm, I'm getting mixed up. So. Uh, yeah, if they play, if they had played Oklahoma, they would have been in the championship. So, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but I'm sorry. Go go on to the running backs there. Yeah, no. So so uh, the the running backs uh, there there are certainly talented running backs, and and uh, we'll get into to some of the others. But the top two as far as ratings. Uh, our individual ratings go Stevie Scott at Indiana, a uh, personal favorite of mine, and, and Trey Sermon, the transfer uh, to Ohio State from Oklahoma. He's a, a 91, uh, which there's some turnover at the position in, in the conference. So uh, not a not a big surprise that he's uh, among the highest rated there. Uh, but the receiver group is, is one that's really going to be fun to watch, I think. It, it, there's, you know, two two guys are at the top, I think, pretty uh, difficult to argue. Rondell Moore and Rashad Bateman are the top two receivers in the Big Ten. But that third player, I, I think there's you know some good discussion to be had. Our third highest rated receiver is Chris Olave from Ohio State, and it makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, he's going to be the most experienced receiver coming back from uh, from the Buckeyes, so he's going to be you know at least the early favorite to be Justin Fields' number one target. And he's he's had a productive career, you know, uh, somewhat, and uh, certainly somebody that that could have an, an even bigger role and and you know put up even bigger numbers in uh, 2020 based on the turnover that that we had uh, at that position. He, he you know 12 touchdowns last year, second most in uh, in the division or in the in the conference behind Tyler Johnson. So he, he's a guy that's you know made big plays and, and had some big games. At tight end, uh, it's a little easier. Uh, Pat Fryermuth, I think, is a pretty clear number one. There are some other guys uh, that you know are jockeying for position, maybe at, at number two, but uh, he's a clear you know number one as far as our highest rated. And then the top five offensive linemen did a little bit better job this week of going by position. So the the two tackles uh, were Rashawn Slater at Northwestern, who I know is getting a lot of 
NFL buzz early 2021, maybe first round type hype. And uh, Thayer Munford at Ohio State, who uh, has some all Big Ten uh, you know, recognition in, in his past. Uh, at the guard positions, his, his teammate Wyatt Davis is uh, our highest rated guard. One that surprised me a little bit and looking into it more, I, I sort of understand uh, Kendrick Green at, at Illinois is very highly rated uh, as far as uh, some of the guys that the grading at, at PFF, they were very impressed. I believe he's the highest rated returning blocker in the Big Ten, according to their uh, numbers, something I, I saw. Uh, and then at center, this one was a, a slight surprise to me. Maybe maybe it shouldn't have been, but uh, uh, McCall Manet, I, I apologize if I got that wrong, but the, the center at Penn State uh, is our highest rated uh, among centers. But the, the Big Ten, more so, I think, than any other conference that we've talked about in the past there's some competition on the offensive line and and you know center there are a few guys in the conversation and and you know tackles uh there there are certainly three or four guys that i've seen different things here and there being considered among you know the top returning tackles in the country potential first round guys things like that so uh, the big 10 is is pretty loaded on on really both sides of the ball but uh at the offensive line specifically was very impressed with the list of guys coming back for 2020 uh xavier how, how are you feeling about your all big 10 preseason team yeah i mean i love elijah collins this is a kid who last year really came on in his, in his sophomore season uh, you know, he, he rushed for 988 yards last year. And I think as a junior, he's going to absolutely take off. I mean, think about it. Michigan State sucked last year, and he was almost in the 1,000-yard rusher. I think he more than breaks through that this year, being, you know, getting, you know, the bulk of the carries um, for the second year in a row. Um, he would have been the first 1,000-yard uh, rusher since Jeremy Langford if he did it last year. I think so. I think he's well in line to, make it, to doing that in 2021 um, or in the 2020 season. Um, uh, next on my list that I did that I had different from Nick is uh, Trey Sermon. Drug, uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. I, I was thinking about BGR plus, but I think he's going to transfer to Ohio State and have an amazing year. I mean, we're talking about a guy who got limited touches at Oklahoma, but in the touches that he did get, we all saw the talent. We all saw the ability that he had um, on display. And as long as he can stay healthy at Ohio State, playing behind an offensive line that helped J.K. Dobbins go for, what was it, 1,700 yards last year, if I'm not mistaken, on the ground. So I think that Trey Sermons could come in, and I'm not saying he's going to go for 1,700 yards, Ohio State fans. But well, Dobbins was 2,000. Yeah. You're right, yeah. So, I mean, I don't think he'll be a 2,000-yard rusher his first year, but is it impossible for me to say 13, 1,400 yards in his first year if he's getting the bulk of the carries? I don't think that's a crazy idea. Uh, my only worry about him is will he share the carries, um, and that's my only concern with him. Uh, next, I did like Alave a lot. Um, he's a guy who 849 yards, 12 touchdowns on only 50 receptions. Uh, that means he didn't get that many targets last year. You, you think he gets a bump up with the loss of uh, Victor and KJ Hill. Maybe he gets 70 targets. And we're thinking about a guy who's in the 1100 yard range uh, going into the next year. I don't know if his touchdowns are going to reciprocate. Uh, normally that doesn't always translate to how great of a receiver you are. Uh, but the yards part of it, I think he'll definitely be a guy that breaks the thousand yard mark uh, going into the next season. Oh, no, and uh, lastly on my list, or uh, second to last, Doug Kramer out of Illinois. You're right, Nick. There were so many centers um, that PFF named as the top 30 returning offensive linemen in college football. Um, matter of fact, the, the three centers we all have named were 19, 17, and 16. So on that list, just to kind of give an mm -hmm. idea of the, the parity at that position alone. Um, 
Another one who was on that list, that the reason why I put him on there uh, was Cole uh, Van Lanen out of Wisconsin. Another big Wisconsin kid who's going to probably go high in the draft after having an amazing year. He had a little bit of a drop-off last year. Uh, do a lot, uh, do a large part to his pass protection, but I think that obviously with great coaching at Wisconsin, that changes going into 2020. And last but not least, uh, we have uh, Amir Smith Marset. I mean, he popped on my screen when they played USC in the bowl game, and he scored three touchdowns, uh, one rushing, one receiving, and one returning. Um, if that doesn't tell you all you need to know about this guy, uh, then I don't know what else does. So I, I think he's going to be an all-purpose, uh, the AP Big Ten guy by a large margin. So yeah, I I really like Smith Marset, and I, I failed to mention that he's actually the highest rated uh, all purpose guy as far as BGR plus. But yeah, he's he, wasn't that, he all conference in uh, as far as uh, all purpose or returner last year as a returner. Yeah, he's yeah. he's had something ridiculous as far as uh, like career returns. Let's see, he had he had two kick returns last year for a touchdown um, in 2018. He had. Uh, he averaged almost 30 yards return. Didn't didn't have a touchdown, but uh, was very impressive. And and then averaged over 30 yards as a freshman. So he's he's somebody that definitely broke through last year as a return guy. But he's he's had a good career, and, and he's getting better as a receiver. I think he's he's and you know as Javier mentioned, they're they're finding ways to put the ball in his hands, and and that's certainly a good sign moving forward. I don't have a lot of differences here. I, I will mention that what I was saying about Justin Fields earlier. It was air yards per attempt that I was uh, thinking mm. of. I don't know if I mentioned that, but so because yards per attempt, uh, Justin Fields was at 9.2 last year to Trevor Lawrence's nine. But air yards per attempt, uh, Fields was at 11.2 versus Lawrence's 9.9, which means Fields throws mm. the ball downfield uh, a, a little bit more than Lawrence does. But uh, one difference I have is Journey Brown, uh, the running back from Penn State. I picked him. You know, uh, there a lot of experience is gone in the Big Ten at the running back position. Uh, Journey Brown running behind a rough offensive line last year in Penn State uh, had 129 carries for 890 yards and 12 scores. So that's a lot of touchdowns. Uh, behind a suspect offensive line. I don't think that he gets the credit that he deserves. And then David Bell, the true freshman out of Purdue last year, who, you know, for fantasy purposes that, you know, Nick and I are involved in, a lot of people knocking down Rondale Moore, uh, who we all have on this list, and easily could have been the best all-purpose player, I believe. Didn't he win uh, the, uh, which one's the all-purpose player? Uh, Hornig. Paul Hornig. Paul Hornig, mm-hmm. that's right. Uh, he won that award uh, his freshman year. But David Bell had 86 catches for 1,000 yards and seven scores and a rushing touchdown last year uh, as a true freshman. So a lot of fun to watch David Bell last year. I think he belongs on this list. And the rest of the guys, the offensive linemen, I all have the same. And uh, Nick and I have huge man crushes on Wandale Robinson. So not a surprise <laughs> to see us both put him as the all-purpose player. But uh, let's move on to the defense, Nick, and tell us about the uh, VGR Plus all-defensive team for the Big Ten. So one thing I, I thought was somewhat interesting is, is uh, the interior defensive line is sort of a, a position that's always underrated by by a lot of fans, and it's it's more difficult for uh, casual college football watchers to, to see the impact sometimes of, of guys that are uh, in the interior defensive line. But I think that partly because there's it's pretty inexperienced especially at the big time 
uh, schools, the Ohio States, Michigan, Penn State are all, uh, you know, working in new starters in, in the interior. So there was fewer of, of those guys to choose from this year who have, you know, an established track record. I'm sure we'll have, you know, guys that, that, uh, this time next year, we'll be thinking about, oh man, all those guys just got drafted. But, uh, our top three defensive linemen, uh, or excuse me, our top four, three of them were, were defensive ends. So, uh, included, uh, Shaka Tony from Penn state, George Karloftis from Purdue and Quiddy pay from Michigan all on this, uh, first team, as far as VGR plus goes. And then, uh, Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan as well was, was one of those top four guys on, on my team. Uh, I, I put both Demarcus Elliott from Indiana and Julius Turner from Rutgers as the, the interior, uh, guys, but I just couldn't leave off Tony or pay or Karloftis. Uh, Karloftis especially was, was so impressive as a true freshman last year. Uh, I, I'm shocked that, uh, sorry to, to spoilers here. I'm shocked the two of you didn't put George Karloftis on, on your teams, but, uh, at, at the linebacker positions for VGR plus Micah Parsons, we've, we've talked about, uh, you know, our man crushes on him before. And, and he's in my opinion, uh, going into 2020, the, the best defensive player in college football, Patty Fisher from Northwestern has the same, uh, VGR rating. They're both max rated 100 rated players, been incredibly productive. Baron Browning. I mean, the, the Ohio state defense, uh, linebacker core, Probably the best in the country. I mean, they've got three guys. I saw uh, the the Senior Bowl uh, Jim Nagy, that the uh, who's in charge there, mentioned that all three draft eligible Ohio State linebackers they've got uh, you know top three round grades on going into to this year. So that's pretty impressive. I think Baron Browning is is the best of the bunch. Tough Borland is is on the list here for. Uh, one of the top four rated linebackers in the conference uh, from VGR plus. Uh, but I, I decided to go with Jake Hansen at Illinois. He had a, an incredible year uh, last year. I mean, the, the ball just found him. It seemed every, every week, I think he led the nation in, in uh, uh, if not forced fumbles, uh, recovered fumbles, which of course are a little bit fluky, but um, he, he was always around the ball, always making plays, uh, racked up a ton of production points, uh, according to our numbers. So I, I slotted him in ahead of Borland. I'm not sure if he's a better player necessarily, but I think because, you know, he's, he's probably going to do a little bit more maybe for Illinois, just thought that he might, you know, rack up a little bit more as far as production goes, uh, in the secondary, we went with five guys for the uh, highest rated as far as VGR plus goes. Uh, the corner from Michigan, Ambry Thomas, who's also a return man, uh, is up there. Sean Wade, of course, Ohio State probably uh, could have been a first round pick this year and, and probably will be next year. Lamont Wade at Penn State is is up there. Uh, Marcelino Ball, really interesting player from Indiana. He's he split a lot of his time between sort of a hybrid safety linebacker position there. And, and, uh, it's been a lot of fun to watch and, and has racked up a lot of production points, uh, according to our numbers as well. So he, he's somebody to look out for. He didn't make my team, but he's, he's one of the top five rated as far as DBs go. Uh, and then Tariq Castro fields at Penn state was again, a guy that just made a, a ton of plays last year. I, I did leave him off my list because Taiwan Mullen at, at Indiana was among the most impressive true freshman corners I saw last year. He's somebody that uh, you're, you're going to want to pay attention to if and when you catch an Indiana game 
next year. He's he's uh, got a lot of you know I, I've seen pro talent evaluators are, are always already uh, paying a, a lot of attention to him as far as you know he, he only had twenty nine tackles three and a half tackles for loss but he broke up thirteen passes last year. He also forced two fumbles so. You know, hasn't got on the board yet with an interception, but he's always around the ball, always making plays. So those those interception numbers are, are going to come. Uh, Sean Wade, I, I had to mention. Uh, Lamont Wade, of course, had to mention. Uh, Nate Hobbs at Illinois, similar to his teammate Jake Hansen, was was highly productive, and I thought worth a mention. Illinois took a. They're they're still not perfect defensively, but they've got some players who are capable of of making plays, and and he's one that uh, was you know uh, filling up the stat sheet. Uh, last year, 67 tackles, uh, had a pick, returned a fumble for a touchdown, five and a half tackles for loss, also broke up 10 passes. So he, he does a lot of different things in the secondary for the Illini. And then from a pure talent standpoint, uh, Michigan's Daxton Hill is very, very impressive. I mean, he's he was one of the highest rated uh, defensive backs in the 20. 20- uh, 19 class and and uh, was able to to break in get a lot of playing time in a very talented secondary for Michigan last year. He's somebody that you know they utilized on a fake punt. Uh, he ran for uh, a first down at least. I, I know and and uh, somebody that that you just try to 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 get the uh, try to find ways to utilize him. He's very productive as a as a safety as a defensive player, but he's going to you know, make an impact on special teams as well. And, and just a lot of fun to watch. So, uh, I left off, uh, Castro fields. I left off ball because I just felt needed to get Daxon Hill in there and, and liked a lot of the things that Nate Hobbs did as well. Thought he deserved to mention. All right, Xavier, you're up. You're all big 10 defensive team. Yeah. Just to kind of piggyback a little bit off of what Nick said just a few seconds ago, when I was looking for defensive linemen. It was so difficult. Oh, it's um, so deep. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, but so many guys had left. One of the things I use to look at some of these, I go through stats from last year just to kind of give me an idea of who's going into the next year off of a good year. And when I looked at sacks, the top like 10 guys, all draftees. I was like, well then, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> time to look even deeper. Uh, but what, um, one of the guys I found was Sam Sam Miller. This is a guy who in 2019 battled through a lot of injuries at Northwestern um, after coming off of a 2018 where he had a really good year. 2018, 53 total tackles, six and a half tackles for loss, two sacks, two pass deflections, and a forced fumble. This is a guy who I think that as with being healthy has an opportunity to really show himself to be one of the top guys in the Big Ten again. Um, you know, he, he's going to be looked upon uh, on a Northwestern team that obviously uh, didn't perform all that well last year. Um, part of the reason why that was the case was due to injuries. Um, and I think that having a guy like Sam Miller back will boost that defense. Um, I, I wanted to find some some obscure guys. So I, I went all the way to Rutgers uh, to find Tyshawn Fogg. Uh, any, anybody who has almost 100 tackles, you're almost on my list every single time if you can get the triple-digit tackles as a linebacker, uh, especially when you play for a team like Rutgers. You know, it's it's a day in day out grind for you to try to make yourself known. Um, so I think to give him some credit, it, it goes to, to to just his play that he's a standout guy on a team as bad as Rutgers is. Um, you know, and and last my last two on my list different from Nick um, Cameron Britt, uh, Cameron Taylor Britt at Nebraska. This is a guy whose versatility is his calling card. He was an honorable mention All Big Ten last year from the media. Um, he played seven games at safety three games at cornerback uh, and only missed one game due to illness last year. You know, he 
that when you play that many positions, he had three interceptions, two two sacks, four forty five tackles, four uh, tackles for loss. I just love the versatility that he brings. And if Nebraska really does uh, surprise us as one of the dark horse teams in the Big Ten, he's going to be a reason as to why did they perform so well. Uh, and I think that he's going to if they do it, he will be one of those those key guys on the defense along with uh, A.J. Martinez on offense to hopefully help Nebraska get out of the basement, which is where they were last year. And last on my list, Eric Burrell at Wisconsin. I, I, once again, I looked at the stats from last season really to give me an idea of, you know, who I should be looking at and a guy who's coming off of a really good season at Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin seems to have sneaky defensive uh, defensive backs. For some reason, I never under, think that Wisconsin has good defensive backs because the hmm. linebackers and their defensive line does so much get so much of the praise, probably because the Big Ten isn't really a stretch-it-out kind of conference. But this is a good player and a guy who absolutely can make the All-Big Ten team uh, for a Wisconsin defense that's not bringing back a lot of starters, but he's going to be a, a key guy with that being the case. I don't have much different than these guys. I mean, I think there are some players on this list that are clearly automatic. I think uh, Pay from Michigan, Parsons, Patty Fisher, Browning, uh, mm-hmm. Sean Wade. I think those are all absolutely automatics. Uh, the only two guys that I differ in are uh, P.J. Mustafer, the defensive tackle from Penn State. I think that a lot of the times uh, guys can get ignored a little bit that anchor a really good defense. And, you know, uh, growing up a Pittsburgh Steelers fan with all of the, um, you know, good nose tackles, Casey Hampton, you know, uh, I think the Steelers lost a big one in Javon Hargrave this year. I always respect those guys. And you see guys like Gross Matos getting drafted. Uh, we're talking about Lamont Wade on this list and uh, Sh- uh, Shaka Tony. That there's a lot of guys that make the plays that stand out. But I think Mustafer is that big anchor in the middle of the Penn State defense uh, that I like watching. And Ohio State has had, you know, uh, the number two draft pick in the last two drafts come out of their school at defensive end. So Zach Harrison, only a sophomore this year. I'm not sure if he registered or not. So I don't think, uh, I think he's a, he's a true sophomore, right, Nick? If I'm not. Yeah. Mistaken. Yeah. He, he, he played a lot. He, he, uh, was certainly, you know, mostly in a, in a reserve role, but very, very tight. He's a five-star guy. Right. Yeah. He can't, can't argue. He's the potential's there. For yep. sure. Five and a half tackles for loss and three and a half sacks in limited playing time behind some studs. At Ohio State, I think getting that full-time job, uh, he's really going to produce this year. So those are the only differences I have uh, on defense. But, I mean, I feel like, you know, we talk about a lot of the guys that are left on the list, but I think specifically at wide receiver, this conference has a lot of guys that could have gone on this list. Wap Fillier from Indiana, I had a hard time not putting on my list. I think you're with me on that one, right, right, Nick? Absolutely. I, I uh, didn't know much about him going into last year, and then he, he comes almost out of nowhere and puts up a 1,000 yards and just a, a very, very talented playmaker on the offense. One of, one of my favorite players to watch last year took a, took a big step forward uh, in my eyes, for sure. And Xavier, I mean, you know, we've mentioned this about a million times, but if Michigan can get some good quarterback play, some of these wide receivers, Nico Collins, and uh, Ronnie Bell could easily show up on the All-Big Ten list, right? <laughs> Even with bad quarterback play, Nico Collins was able to put up almost 700 yards the last two years, including 13 combined touchdowns in 2018 and 2019. So you can only imagine if he were to get a guy at 6'4", 222 pounds, 
that he has an opportunity to really, you know, explode. I um, mean, he's kind of just been hindered by by uh, inconsistent quarterback play. It might be one of the reasons why Tariq Black left, you know. Uh, but you know, I, I think you're absolutely right. Michigan is, I think, a sleeping giant. You know, sorry, uh, Michigan fans might rejoice about that. But if you guys can find a quarterback, you guys actually might be decent. You yeah, know, I, I think. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, seriously, you know. <laughs> that's the big thing yeah. that and I hate to I hate to keep hammering on it. But it is one of the things that, uh, that we've talked about kind of ad nauseum is, you know, uh, Harbaugh just has not recruited a quarterback well. And even when he tried to get in a transfer like Shea Patterson, who was a big time recruit, it just didn't work out mm-hmm. for whatever reason. So uh, John, they, our, our buddy John Lobb calls it the Neanderthal offense from Michigan. Are, are they this generation's LSU? They might be. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they, they had that problem for sure for a long time, mm-hmm. LSU did until Joe Burrow came around. So uh, what about uh, guys on the offensive line here, Nick, and then on the defensive side? Who were you kind of disappointed to not see in this list? Well, I, I sort of glossed over it on uh, when I was on, on my side, but the, the center uh, that I chose was Tyler Lindenbaum from Iowa. The, the Iowa's produced, of course, a ton of great offensive linemen, and Kirk Ferentz is, is somewhat guarded in, in the way he uh, heaps praise on players. But I, I saw last summer he made mention to how Linden ba- Linderbaum could be one of the best to ever do it in Iowa. That that stuck with me, and, and I know that he's gotten a lot of love. I think he's uh, going to be a third-year sophomore this year, but uh, chose him over some other really, really talented uh, guys up front. But there, there were a lot of, you know <laughs> – Excellent players to choose from. Uh, I'm glad Xavier put uh, Van Lannan on on his list. Uh, I, I decided to go with Slater instead, but I really wanted to find a spot for Alaric Jackson at, uh, from Iowa, uh, who you know was, was the uh, opposite bookend uh, from uh, Tristan Wirfs last year, and and a very talented player in his own right could, you know, climb up draft boards, uh, next year. And, 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 uh, his partner in crime, so to speak in 2020 is, is supposed to be Coy Cronk who started 40 games at Indiana and, you know, uh, is the most experienced <laughs> offensive lineman in the big 10 and, and happens to be moving, uh, across divisions to, uh, a rival there in, in Iowa. So not sure who's going to be, on the left side, but those are, are going to be Iowa's two tackles, and they've got a they've got a very strong track record, pretty much across the board, of, of developing those guys into draft picks and all Big Ten type players. So I think uh, all of them are, are are certainly worth mentioning. But uh, Michigan had four offensive linemen transferred last, or not transferred, uh, drafted <laughs> four offensive linemen drafted last year. Jalen Mayfield's the only returning starter, but he's he's got some experience and he's he's pretty. Uh, highly regarded as well, but don't be shocked if any of the other four step up. And, and uh, even though they're new faces, Michigan's got a, a great track record of producing NFL players at, at the offensive line uh, spot. So I, I would not be at all shocked if if we see some uh, fresh names. I know Minnesota has an experienced offensive line. They've got some guys that are highly regarded. Uh, a center, Connor Olson, is certainly in the mix. Ohio State always seems to have great centers. Uh, and uh, I think Josh Myers is certainly on that list. And then Wisconsin, of course. I mean, we said Van Lannan, but uh, the other tackle is Logan Bruss and, and uh, pretty much anybody from Wisconsin, similar to Michigan, you expect, uh, is eventually going to be a, a solid player. So 
Big Ten has, has done an excellent job producing offensive linemen, and, and there's a ton of them uh, this year to choose from. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, somebody like Jason Oway at Penn State is is just a physical freak. I know he was uh, on Bruce Feldman's freaks list last year, and, and he's uh, been, you know, he, he hasn't gotten a, a consistent starting spot because Shaka Tony and, and uh, uh, Gross Matos were there last year. So hopefully this year he'll get his opportunity to shine, maybe like an A.J. Epinesa, who was a uh, top reserve in, until his junior year. Oway is, uh, you know, he's going to have a, a shot this year to, to really produce. I'm excited to see him in, in a bit of a more expanded role. Uh, a couple of guys in the interior, Carlo Kemp at Michigan, uh, is got a chance to, to be very good. And, and then I'm looking forward to seeing Lorenzo Neal back on the field. Uh, he missed all of last year at, at Purdue. If he's, you know, back and healthy, put him with, with uh, Carl Loftus and then Derek Barnes, who's played both linebacker and defensive end. Purdue ha- could have a very, very solid uh, front four, front seven potentially. And uh, they, they have a new defensive coordinator, a uh, new co-coordinator in there. But uh, perhaps that's a unit that can help propel Purdue back into bowl eligibility. But, I mean, you know, I I could go on and on. There are a ton of players, and we've mentioned a lot of them, and I I like that we've mentioned a lot of different names. But uh, the Big Ten is is stacked. I mean, I I think it's clear that they are – they're gaining ground, I think, on on the SEC as far as just overall talent. Ohio State is ridiculous. Penn State is is so talented at so many positions. Michigan, you know, love him or hate uh, Jim Harbaugh, he's he's got a lot of talent to work with. And then, you know, programs like Wisconsin and Iowa, who uh, take take guys that are you know local, low rated two star guys, and and develop them into. Uh, professional football players. So uh, a lot to like about the Big Ten, and I'm really excited uh, to watch the league as a whole in in 2020, and and especially excited to watch a lot of these uh, very, very talented uh, players. All right. Well, I think that's going to put a bow on it for today. And next week, we got the ACC coming up. Xavier, are you prepared for the ACC? How many non-Clemson players do you think you're going to have on the list? Three. (laughs) (laughs) Three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll take the over on three. So I think I think we'll find three players uh, in the ACC. Uh, you know uh, that that you could you could put in there that are not on Clemson. So at least one running back and one wide receiver, right? So yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we'll, we'll get the ACC all figured out next week. But that is going to do it for us for this week. You can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me at CFB Winning Edge for Nick and at Xavier underscore Trish T-R-I-C-H-E for Xavier Uh, take it easy everybody we will see you next week CFB Winning Edge is a Patreon supported outlet the more support we receive the more value we're able to bring to our listeners readers and users there are several projects on our wish list for the 2020 college football season including written previews a weekly newsletter and expanded podcast schedule however we can't grow without your support Join us at patreon.com slash CFB Winning Edge for details.